Praise the Lord. Greetings. I greet you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our Savior. He's our Redeemer. He's not dead. I spoke to him this morning. And he wants me to tell you he loves you. And so I'm so glad you're here on a Sunday night. You came out of your homes and uh, you position yourself to receive. For every pastor, every leader that's here tonight, you have positioned yourself to receive. And I pray that you will leave out of this conference disturbed, provoked, messed up. Your makeup all messed up in Jesus' name. But it's a joy to be with Pastor Ken, his lovely wife, and the entire church, and all the pastors in this region. Uh, a leader, a leader that stops learning, stops growing. And you've come here this evening and tomorrow and the following day to learn, to grow. Amen? Amen. And so thank you for that great introduction. And uh, I, I want to show you, I, I usually travel with my family, my wife, and, but I got pictures. So at least to show you. And uh, that's the best I can do. Amen. So let me show you my wife. Go back to the picture of my wife. Um, the first picture you have. I don't know what you have there. This, this is my family. But there's, there's another picture. There's the first one of Elizabeth and I. Do you have that? Yes or no? No? Just thumbs up, thumbs down. Okay. This is my tribe. This is my wife, my family. I've got two girls and my son. They're all married. And they're all out of the house. Glory to God in the highest. I'm not suffering. I'm not trying to be this Hispanic father that wants their kids to stay with them. No, they got to go. They got to go. They're like arrows in my quiver. Shoot them out. Shoot them out. I, um, I'm a grandfather. Let me see if you have that. This is Charlie Grace. This is my first granddaughter. And when I, you know, I'm Puerto Rican, and so when I went to, um, any Puerto Ricans in the house? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Hispanics, were everywhere. <laughs> I mean, we're out here. We're out here. Lord, help us. My mother, who's in her 80s, I came and I said, Mommy, I have a granddaughter. And then she says, what's her name? I said, her name is Charlie. And she said, Charlie. Isn't that a boy's name? I said, Mommy, today this culture, they have names that go back and forth. And, you know, you gotta go. So then I have my second granddaughter was born, uh, Reagan Liv. Go ahead and put that. Or <laughs> No, okay, you don't have that. Okay, so I have, all right, so I have a second granddaughter. Her name is Reagan Liv. She's a year and a half. So when I... Um, when she was born, I went back to my mother and said, Mommy, I have a second granddaughter. She says, what's her name? I said, Reagan. She says, Reagan, isn't that a president's name? I said, Mommy, we just need to move on, and we need to move on. Just forget about it. And so Elizabeth and I, we are, how many grandparents do we have in the house? Eh? Isn't that awesome? Isn't it a beautiful thing? I mean, God should have given us the grandchildren first and kept the children. <laughs> but Elizabeth and I, we are grandparents to four kids, uh, two girls and two boys, and we're expecting our fifth one in May of this year. And so we are doing our part to grow the church of Jesus Christ. Let's go. You all, you need to catch up to us. Amen. Well, as Pastor alluded to, how many of you here have never heard of me before? Raise your hand. You've never heard of me. Oh, wow. Father, forgive them. <laughs> wow. So, yes, thank you. So, Elizabeth and I, I was born and raised in the hood of Chicago. I was, uh, I was not always, I was not always a Christian. Uh, my father abandoned my mom at the age of eight years old when I was eight. There are six of us in my family. I'm the youngest of six. 
And I'm trying to give you context so that you can at least understand why your pastor brought me here. Um, I was eight years old when my dad abandoned my mom with six children, five boys, one girl. Uh, all of us were raised in Humble Park, Chicago. Humble Park, Chicago was the worst park in the 1970s, in the 80s. It was declared the worst park in the United States. So that's where I lived, with no father, no Jesus, failed third grade because couldn't read or write, and I was destined for destruction for sure. In the 1970s, there was a riot that broke out between, can I come down? Is that all right to come walk around? All right. I don't know if you're recording this, but I usually like to come down back in Chicago so I can slap people and... I don't do that. <laughs> Everybody's now moving back. They're moving back. In the 1970s, a riot broke out between the Puerto Ricans and the police department in, in Humble Park, Chicago. What you guys saw in Ferguson, Missouri, I lived it in Chicago. With no father, no Jesus, I was destined for destruction for sure. In 1970s, uh, the mayor of the city, Mayor Belandic at that time, um, had a summer program, a summer program that hired thousands of young people, including myself. And we were to clean streets of the city of Chicago in the 1970s. My assignment, this was 1977, my assignment led me to a Pentecostal church, Assembly of God Church in Chicago. This would be the first time I ever walked into an evangelical church. My first time ever. I walked in and the name of the church was Palestine Christian Temple of the Assemblies of God of the Midwest Latin District. And I walked in with my papers, my summer papers, and said, my name is uh, Rofredo de Jesus, and I'm here to clean streets. And the supervisor in the church says, oh, you're not going to clean streets this summer. He says, you're going to do VBS. <laughs> I said, VB what? He says, it's vocational Bible school. You're going to help children, so forth and so forth. And I said, well, do, am I going to get a check? I said, I want to know. <laughs> and my mother is a single mom. I want to help her. And uh, he said, yep. So June, July of 1977, every time I would come, I would see young people, just like it was today, worshiping and praying. That's, that's an awesome picture. You should do everything possible to make sure young people uh, get to church. Get to church. Send them to conference and send them to to camps. I know they're knuckleheads right now, but you, you, you have no idea what God's going to do in their lives. You have no idea. I'm a living proof of that. And so in June, July of 1977 came August, August of 1977, and I asked the supervisor, what are these young people doing? He says, they're praying to Jesus. He says, Wilfredo, do you know Jesus? I said, I don't know Jesus. He says, would you like to meet him? I said, yes, I would like to meet Jesus. And uh, so he, they called the young people and said, young people, come, make a circle. And then they said, well, Fredo, get in the middle of the circle. And I said, no. <laughs> and let me help you out here in Roscoe, Illinois. You never get in the middle of a circle in the hood. This is not called a prayer circle. This is called a beatdown. My brother was the leader of a gang in Chicago, mean gang in Chicago. I said, I'm not getting in the middle of the circle. They said, well, Fredo, close your eyes. I said, I'm not closing my eyes. I said, the first guy that hits me, I'm going to hit him back. The young people started praying. I closed one eye. <laughs> closed the other eye. And I said, the most simplest prayer on planet Earth. I said, God, if you exist, change my life. That was in 1977 of August. I felt like something happened to me as my body was elevated. I felt like the young people put on, uh, maybe they threw powder on me or something. But I started attending that church, that local church there in Humble Park, Chicago. Fast forward a little bit to the month of November of 1977. The young people were going to a youth retreat in Lansing, Michigan. They said, hey, Wilfredo, we're going to go to a youth conference in Lansing, Michigan, would you come with us? I said, absolutely. I get in the van with the young people. I get to the conference. It's at a hotel. It's a hotel. And the preacher's preaching, and he makes an altar call. And, and as he makes an altar call, I get saved again. How many know what I'm talking about? 
I mean, in my life, I got saved a lot of times. I mean, every time there's an opportunity for the altar, I'm there. I just want to make sure that every part of my heart belongs to Jesus. And so, watch this. I get to the altar. I kneel down. 14 years old. I kneel down. And as I, I kneel down, and the reason why I'm telling you this story is because 95% of you all raise your hand. And you don't know who I am. So I got to give you context. I haven't even started preaching. I kneel down, and as I kneel down, a lady comes to me, begins to speak in tongues. Now, I know it's not Spanish because I'm Puerto Rican. <laughs> and as she spoke in tongues, and then she prophesied and said these words, I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. Now, at 55, I know that's the covenant that God made with Abraham. But at 14, I'm thinking, this is pretty cool. <laughs> I get up. I get up from the altar. I go to the elevator in the hotel. I get in the elevator of the hotel. As I'm in the elevator, I'm kind of contemplating what the lady said. And as the doors were about to shut, a gentleman walks in in a suit. And as the doors close, he turns towards me and said these words. Have you not heard? I've called you to be a great leader. Stay in my path. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. Now I'm thinking, maybe it's the husband of the lady that was at the altar. I don't know. I don't know what's going up, up in here, up in here. I just wanted the doors to get open and leave. And so I... But little did I know, y'all, little did I know that God was marking me. And whatever God marks, there's no demon in hell. There's no devil that can remove the hand of God. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah that he will make sure himself that it will come to pass. And so I started attending that local church at 14 years old. Now I'm around 18 years old. And the pastor came to me and said, Choco, I want you to be the Sunday school teacher of the young people. And I said, Sunday school teacher of the young people. That's what the lady said. And the guy in the elevator. I was going to be a leader. So I got me a black jacket, my white shirt, and my black tie. Listen, y'all, I was a Sunday school teacher for the youth. Sure, there was only five young people, but so what? I was still the youth leader. I was Sunday school teacher. That's what the lady said I was going to be. And I felt like I've reached my peak. <laughs> a few years later, the pastor comes to me and says, Choco, I want you to become the Sunday school superintendent. I said, Sunday school superintendent? That's what the lady said. <laughs> and the guy in the elevator. I got my jacket, my tie. Listen, y'all, I was Sunday school superintendent. Sure. It was a church of 68 people in Humble Park, Chicago. But so what? I was a leader. I was a leader. So now at this time, I, my, I married the pastor's daughter, Elizabeth. And uh, my father-in-law says, hey, we have a district convention, and uh, I want you to drive me there. So I'm driving him, and while I'm driving him, he says, by the way, they're going to be voting on, at that time it was called DCAP. Uh, today's called DYD, District Youth Director. I'm driving him, and he said, by the way, they're going to be voting on, on District Youth Director. You should put your name. I said, no. I am Sunday School Superintendent. <laughs> he says, don't worry about it. There's going to be other young people, and they're going to run too. So we get there, the hotel, in the nighttime, and this is how I went. First guy grabs the mic. My name is so-and-so. I have a bachelor's degree in youth ministry from Evangel University. Give the mic to the second guy. I am from CBC, graduated from da ba da ba da ba da ba da They give me the mic. My name is Choco, and I'm Sunday school superintendent. I'm like the devil. I don't even know why I did that. But hey, the pastors voted. The pastors voted unanimously, and they voted me the president. Of 11 states, over 100 churches 
in the Midwest. I called my wife Elizabeth. I said, babe, I am the new decap. She said, decap? What's a decap? I said, I don't know. I just walked through the door. And here's the problem with the church of Jesus Christ. Here's the problem with God's people. That we try to understand God. And God doesn't ask you to understand him. He's asking you to obey him. Because understanding can wait. But obedience cannot. And we're not experiencing the more of God. God wants you to experience more in 2020. He wants you to step into more. The problem with us is that we want to pray about it. <laughs> we want to pray about everything. Hey, we need help in children's ministry. I need to pray about it. Why do you think, y'all, why do you think God saved you? He didn't save you so that you can sit your behind in a chair for 30 years and do nothing. He saved you so that you can become a proclaimer. Of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How will they know? Who will send them? Romans 10.10. 10, unless you go. He didn't take you out of drugs. He didn't take you out of prostitution. He didn't take you out of that heroin addiction. So that you could sit in the church for the rest of your life. And do nothing. No. He saved you so that you can go outside and proclaim. So for eight years, y'all. I was a DYD. I traveled from Chicago to Wichita, Kansas, traveling, because that's what the lady said, and the guy in the elevator, for eight years without a salary, served the church, expecting nothing back, because that's what the lady said, and the guy in the elevator. I didn't know that you can get a salary for this. I just thought it was an assignment, and assignment requires obedience. To the Lord. So now the year is 1998. My father-in-law comes to me and says, hey, Choco, I'm going to retire. And I want you to be the pastor of this church. I want you to run. I said, no. I said, no, I'm going to be state trooper of Illinois. I just took the exam, and I want to be a state trooper. I want to be an usher of the church. I want to collect the offering with my gun on my side. So that I can motivate people to give. Let's go. Give. Don't play. Come on. Come on. Come on. <laughs> I've, been, I've been to so many churches. They collect the offering too nice. Too nice. In Chicago, we shake you. We're like, hey, come on. Come on. Stop playing. I mean, I'm trying, to get, I'm trying to get scanners at the door so we can just scan you as you walk in. Pull it out of your visa. That's how we're going to do. Help you out. 1999 came. I said to my father-in-law, okay, listen, I feel convicted. Um, we have 68 people in our church. I'll leave my name run under one condition, that all 68 people have to vote for me. If all 68 do not vote for me, it's not the will of God. All I need is one person. July 2000 comes. I'm in the church with my wife Elizabeth in the front, and this was my prayer inside of me. God. If you love me, give me one person. They collected the ballots. My father-in-law came and looked at me and says, Choco, congratulations. You're the new pastor of the church. I looked at my wife, who didn't want to marry a pastor, didn't want me to be a pastor. I looked at her and said, babe, did you vote for me? I thought you were the only one that wasn't going to vote for me. And so in the year 2000, I became a pastor of this church of 68 people. And, uh, and since I was raised in the hood, I knew that this gospel could not be in four walls. I said to the church of the 68, hey, listen, y'all, we got to go outside. There are people out there dying. They need to hear this good news, this, this, this transformational news. So I started fishing. I started throwing the net. And I started bringing in fish, y'all, black fish, white fish. Straight fish, gay fish, all of them. I'm like, it's not my problem. The Holy Spirit, you got to clean them out. You just told me, you told me to fish. <laughs> it's not my job. You clean them. So we started, 
We started fishing. We went from one service to two services to three services to four services to five services. I mean, the church was growing. It was so bad that I, I, we have over 200 deacons. I said, I'd call all the deacons. I said, listen, don't come to church. We don't fit. It was Resurrection Sunday. I said, we don't fit. I told the staff, call all of them. Tell them don't come. Send their tithing, but don't come. Yeah, I'm no fool. Amen. I know what I got to do. So we became a pastor. In 2002, the police commander came to me and said, Reverend DeJesus, we have an epidemic of prostitution. Is there anything your church can do? They arrested 600 women for prostitution in Chicago in nine months. Nine months. And I said, wow. I said, we can pray for you. How many believe in the power of prayer? And there comes a time where prayer must convert to action. Yes, pray for your community, for sure. But also plan what we're going to do. I think that the church has been in a huddle too many years. When will we call break? So I go home, I told my wife Elizabeth, I said, babe, they've arrested 600 women in nine months, unduplicated. I go to sleep. I wake up the next morning. I feel like the Lord told me, Choco, buy a farm. A farm? My wife was making coffee. I said, babe, I think God wants us to buy a farm. She says, what do you know about farming? I said, nothing. But I do know about obedience. So I went to my church like this. And I stood before the church in the pulpit. True story. Since you guys don't know who I am, and now you guys, I still haven't even started preaching. I said, church, somebody here has a farm. Give it up. <laughs> Give it up. My wife was the worship leader. I said, babe, come on, leave worship. First Sunday passed by, nobody said anything. I came back the next Sunday to the church. I said, serious? Can you imagine all these Puerto Ricans looking at me like, we voted for the wrong guy. <laughs> serious, somebody who has a farm, give it up. Come on, baby, worship. Like a month passed by, two months passed by, nobody said anything. Now I'm bringing scripture. I'm saying, no woman, no woman, not even Rahab. No woman is born a prostitute. I started telling the church of new life. With revelation comes responsibility. When God reveals to you the condition of your community, we must respond. Come on, babe, lead worship. Four months passed by, five months, nobody. Have you ever had that relationship with God where you feel like, my word, I, I really felt like it was God. I mean, I know his voice since 14. I've been serving my father. Six months passed by, seven months. On the eighth month. A lady comes to me and says, Pastor Choco, my uncle, his wife of 42 years, just passed away in Cambridge, Illinois. And uh, he's got a farm of 15 acres. He's selling it for $160,000. He heard you wanted to save women from prostitution, human trafficking, and so forth. So that was Sunday. Monday, I head towards the farm with my wife and some of the elders of the church. I walked around the 15 acres, and then I said these words, Thus saith the Lord that this is the farm. I know we don't talk like that anymore, but we should. With a sense of authority. Because your father is no punk. I said, thus saith the Lord. And so that you would know that my father is with me. He's going to send me the money cash. Here's what you need to know about us as Hispanics. I'm going to help you out. We believe the Bible. We believe the Bible from Genesis to the book of Revelation. And the Bible says that God has a cattle on a thousand hills. So I told my father, I said, sell the cattle. Send me the money. So then I started thinking, what am I going to do? I started thinking. And then the following Sunday, I got it. The Lord gave me what I was going to do. I get to the pulpit. And I said, church, I got it. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to run. 182 miles. I'm going to run from the farm. I'm going to ride bike. I'm going to run. I'm going to ride bike, run. It's going to take me three days to get to Chicago. When I get there, we're going to raise the money, 160000 And the church, ah, Gloria Dios, praise God. Ah. After the service, my wife pulls me over and says, babe, I'm going to talk to you. 
I said, what's up? She says, you're not a runner. You will die in the first mile. I said, I know. Jesus said, if you try to preserve your life, you've lost it. But if you lose your life for me, you found it. So 7 o'clock in the morning, I started running from Cambridge, Illinois to Chicago. Started running uh, every two miles. My children, who you saw there, they were much younger. They were there with Gatorade and water giving me and encouraging me. And Come on, Papa, you can do it. Papa, you can do it. And to make a long story short, I get to Chicago. The police are waiting for me. They're giving me an escort into Humble Park, Chicago. The church is packed. Boom, 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 boom. I get to the church, and people are excited. After the church, I, f I meet with the CFO. I said, bro, that's how we talk in Chicago. Bro, how much do we collect? He said, sit down, Pastor Choco. I said, no, tell me. He says, uh, we collected 13000 I said, you mean 113 He said, nope, 13. I leave the CFO. I go to my office. I close the door. And then I have a discourse with my father. Kill me. Why make me run for $13,000? My ankles are swollen. My back hurts. Phone rings. There's a gentleman from Lombard, Illinois. Pastor Choco, I heard you have a shelter for homeless women and children. I said, I do. I have 35 homeless women and children that live with us. He said, oh, we want to give you a washer and dryer. My wife and I want to give you a washer and dryer for your shelter. They come the next day. They're unloading the washer and dryer. He comes to my office. He says, how was the run? I told him about the run. I told him about the 600 women. I told him that with revelation comes responsibility. I told him we need to do something. You know, and, and he says, how much did you raise? I said, 13. Well, actually 12 because you gave me one. He starts crying. He stands up. She starts crying. And he says, Pastor Choke, I know it's the beginning of December. And uh, boy, boy, if your church can raise $40,000, my wife and I would give you $50,000 cash to go buy the farm. So the next Sunday I get to the church. I said, church, somebody here has $40,000. Give it up. Come on, baby, lead worship. It's midnight, December 31st, I'm short $10,000. I've raised 30. I said, well, it's, uh, I got three hours to raise $10,000. I said, somebody here has 10000 Give it up and uh, give it to the Lord. At midnight, a husband and wife comes to me and says, we've been watching you for nine months, giving your life away to women you don't even know. Here's the $10,000. Go buy your farm. We bought the farm since we've purchased the farm. Over 722 women have been rescued from prostitution and human trafficking. I want to talk to you tonight. That was a little bit of backdrop of who I am. And uh, when I became the pastor, I remember what the lady said and the guy in the elevator. And then living in the more of God. And then I found out in 2013 when your pastor talked about Time Magazine. I found out in 2013 that God has no limits. There's no ceiling with God. Eyes have not seen. Ears have not heard. Mind cannot conceive what God has in store for you. You have no idea. This broken kid from Humble Park, Chicago who failed third grade because he couldn't read and write. And the Lord took him and began to work in him. Little by little. Every level of your life, every level of your life, every elevation is a new revelation in your life. And sometimes in our ministries, we might have to stay here in this step for a while before God takes you here. Every step is a lesson. Are you with me? Every step God takes us into a lesson. Open your Bibles with me for a moment. This has been the, at the heart um, I've been preaching this. I feel like this is the, the word for the church. Stand with me for the reading of God's word. I'm old-fashioned this way. I won't preach long. Psalms 42. It's a story of a deer. 
As a deer, Psalms 42, verse 1 through 5. We've been, we've been yearning the presence of God. Pastor and leader, what makes the difference in your church is not a building. It's the presence of God. Do you yearn for the presence of God? What will make you an irresistible church is the presence of God. In your youth group, in your women's ministry, is the presence of God. As the deer pants for the streams of soul water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Robert, can you make your way up here for a moment on the piano? My tears have been my food day and night. Robert and I were together in Alabama and ministering there together. It's great to see him again. This is a sermon that the Lord gave me for the church. Essentially saying, why don't you, why don't you search for me? Like the deer searches for water. I don't know if you know this, but in every stage there is a dehydration stage. Verse 5 says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I would yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. You may be seated for a moment. Church, if you're taking notes, did you know that your body is 60% water? The human body is composed of 60% water. The brain is composed of 70% water. Your blood is 83% water. We cannot manufacture water. So what happens when we run out of water? There are symptoms of dehydration. Things begin to happen when you lose water from your body. What happens when you lose begin 2% of water? Your mouth dries. Fatigue settles in. Chills. When you lose 2% of the water in your body, there are symptoms. What happens when you lose 5% of the water? Increased heart rate. Extreme fatigue, muscle cramps, headaches. When you lose 5% of the water. Well, let's increase it tonight. What happens when you lose 10% of the water in your body? Look at me. You better go to the hospital immediately. You're about to have a heart attack. Because your body cannot lose 10% of water without having a stroke or heart attack. The presence of God. When a servant walks away from God's presence, there are symptoms that occur. Eyes begin to lose. You lose your capacity to see. The first thing that happens if you're taking notes is that you lose your capacity to see when you are dehydrated spiritually. The second thing that happens in a servant is your capacity to run. Did you know that a deer can run 45 miles per hour and perhaps jump 10 feet high? But when a deer is dehydrated, it loses its capacity. When a man and a woman of God is dehydrated spiritually, they can't run. You walk funny. You don't talk the way you do. You used to. So you lose vision. You lose your capacity to run. Number three, what happens to a deer when he's dehydrated? Your speech is gone. You don't talk like you used to. You don't, you don't worship like you used to. Number four. What happens to a deer when a deer is dehydrated? Did you know that a deer, when it's dehydrated, its pores open up? Its pores open up and it sends a smell of death in the air when a deer is dehydrated. When a man of God and a woman of God is distant from God, there are symptoms like that. You have no vision, you don't talk the same, you don't walk the same. And you smell. You smell. This is clean water, is it? Okay, good. 
A deer is different from a dog. In our house, we had two pit bulls. None of them were ours. They were our daughters, but we felt like they were ours. I mean, know what I'm talking about. Dog laps like that. A deer is not like that. When a deer is dehydrated and finds a body of water, obviously can't see, doesn't walk straight, can't speak. A deer, when he finds a body of water, doesn't drink. Here's what the deer does. It jumps in the middle of the water, of the body of water, and starts taking a bath. The deer starts taking a bath because he knows I got to get the smell off of my body. I've got to get the smell of death out of me. When the deer finds the water, first thing he does is take a bath. OMG. When was the last time you took a bath in God's presence to remove the order? inconsistency, the order of depression from your life. Now you understand Psalm 42 that the psalmist said, just as the deer needs water, so do I need water. I need God's presence to live. And we're talking about the Holy Spirit in this conference. We're nothing, church. We're nothing without God's presence. I mean, you should tell God, I'm not going to preach. I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to worship. If your presence is not with me, I'm not even going to touch an instrument. Because what value is there? I need your presence in my life. The deer. Longer after thee, Lord. And the enemy will try to remove you from God's presence. He will distract you in 2020. But I've come here in this conference to tell you, stay there in God's presence. And if you've drifted away in 2019 and you're trying to find your way back, my advice to you is jump in the water and take a bath and get that order out of your life. Water is life. We can't survive without God's presence. What we've done in Chicago, what you're going to do in your community, is because of God's presence. With every head bowed and every eyes closed. I don't know how many of you here at the sound of my voice would say, Pastor Choker, I want to live in the more of God. I see what God's doing in your life. I need God. I need His presence. Pray for me. Pray for me. With every head bowed and every eyes closed, how many of you here at the sound of my voice would say, I need, I need God's presence. I've drifted. I have no vision in 2020. I need, to, I need God to open my eyes. If that's you, would you lift your hands? I want to pray for you. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. Maybe you're in stage number two. You can't run. You don't walk like you used to. Maybe you're in stage four where there's an aroma. He loves you. And he's brought me to tell you he loves you. If you raise your hand, I'm going to open up the altar and as we sing that song as a deer. and I'm going to invite you to come. And let's get in his presence and begin to take a bath. Come, do that right now. As the deer panted for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Thank you. 
tonight Psalms 42 is a message for America's church buildings won't bring the presence of God buildings are great lights are great but do God's people yearn just like the deer is looking for water are you desperate, desperate for his love, desperate for his presence, desperate for the living water? The woman in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman came looking for physical water and she met up with the living water. And Jesus said, church, I must go through Samaria. Look at me. I must go. There's a sense of urgency. And we must leave this conference with that sense of urgency. We can't play it safe anymore. You must give your life away. You must give your life away. You might have to run for something. But do not try to preserve your life. Jesus said, if you do that, you've lost it. Yeah. If you lose your life for me, he says, you found it. This woman came in John chapter 4, seeking water. And little did she know that the living water would be there waiting for her. There's a generation, look at me, there's a generation outside that's thirsty for the living water. And they asked the same question, where is your God? Let's go show them. Let's go through all of our churches and ministry and love people. Love them with truth. Let them know that the living water still can satisfy their thirst. Come on, as, as you lift your hands with me for a moment. And just tell the Lord, come on. is the air I breathe.
So let me pray for you tonight. In a few moments, pastor will come and those who, whoever's got to close. But I want to encourage you to be the light. I want to encourage you to go after the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission is not the great suggestion. We must have a sense of urgency. Paul says in Corinthians, why? If you prophesy and you speak in tongues, but you have no love, you're sounding symbol. There's a world out there that's dying. And a fear world, a scared world needs a fearless church. That's you. That's the church. Let me pray. Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for every pastor, every leader that's here. Thank you for my brother Robert. Thank you for Ken and his wife putting this together, bringing this region together. May they leave out of here with their eyes open, with the capacity to run, the capacity to speak. Bless them, dear Lord, as they leave here tonight.